1: Music. Music,
2: horror, horror. horror. Sub-culture. subculture, and, and overall badass. Bad ass- ass- welcome, welcome, welcome to Kettle, to Kettle Whistle, Whistle radio with, radio. with your host, your host Dave, Dave and Sean. And Sean.
3: Yeah, I've been on, on coffee all morning, and uh, so I figured just keep up with the coffee. I know tea is the way to go, you know, and after talking to a lot of vocalists these days, yeah, you want to get a little honey on the back of your throat. And yeah, sure. Folks, friends, and fiends, welcome to Kettle Whistle Radio, a very special one right now. Um, we're going to have a guest very soon, very soon. But first, I want to introduce my co-host this time around. He's been on the show before. He has been published by Burning Bowl, publishing um, the same label as our guest um, coming up very soon, John Russo, of course, from Night of the Living Dead fame, Return of the Living Dead fame, and of course, his reboot of the film, his own film, Midnight. Right now, I want to introduce, though, my co-host today, uh, Paul Wardellin. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing
0: well. How are you today, David?
3: All right. We're doing this thing remote because... Well yeah, COVID is still out there. It's the apocalypso story arc through this uh, series of kettle Whistle radio but and of course you know unfortunately we're going to have a big show with Martis here and uh, John Russo, of course himself was going to be sitting right here on the third rail with us once again uh, but because of COVID, we're taking precautions. he's at his home. I'm at mine and Paul where are you in uh, Jersey New York where are you at?
0: I am in Jersey
3: yeah so there Aramis, you go. New Jersey Paramus right. Um, Very important to note, folks, that uh, Paul is responsible for me um, getting to know who John Russo really was early on. Uh, I, of course, saw Night of the Living Dead as a kid with my grandmother before I knew Paul. But later in life, I would get to know Return of the Living Dead because Paul introduced me to the vinyl version of the soundtrack before I even saw the movie. And as we all know, when you hear soundtracks or read books, your imagination runs with you. And you don't know what to expect and then paul i guess either rented or owned the film on vhs and invited me over and i saw return of the living dead and uh, that was my introduction to actually john russo uh other than seeing him in night of the living dead and his repertoire there uh right paul
0: yeah uh, my introduction to john was also night of the living dead uh which my brother my older brother brian had Tormented me with as a young impressionable child, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, night and dawn and day.
3: Yes.
0: And I remember him being older. So when Day of the Dead came out in 1985, he and his friends went to see it in, in the old um, UA and quorum Oh man! Theater. Cool. That was one of the few places on Long Island that were showing it in Suffolk County, where David and I grew up. And even though I had already been imbued with the zombie stuff and the stuff didn't bother me uh there was no way i could get in to see it in the theater. and that was one thing that always ticked me off because i was too young right and this was back in the it wasn't it wasn't released as x not then it was just unrated unrated and, yeah. was, and so it was no one under 17 yep was allowed to go in and they were pretty strict about it so but that same year return of the living dead came out and that was an art mm-hmm. so i had no problem getting into that one and again my brother and i both went to see that and yeah i absolutely loved it i thought it was fantastic it predates Zack snyder's dawn of the dead fast zombie phenomenon by well over 20 years and that soundtrack that mm-hmm. punk soundtrack by yeah. you know the Cramps, the Damned, SSQ, Rocky Erickson. I mean, it's just. I still listen to it. I still have the vinyl. Yep, I, yeah, I glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I downloaded it to my iPod. So right. All that stuff, and yeah, I the uh, the my copy of the film, I think. You know, VHS, I taped off of those other HBO or Cinemax back then in the late 80s. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I had never, I have not picked up a DVD or Blu-ray copy of it
3: yet. Mm, right.
0: Uh, the current Blu-ray is out from Screen Factory. Oh, really? Which does a fantastic okay. job of, you know, horror films to begin with. All You know, they get new 4K scans of these things and talk to all the surviving filmmakers and get new interviews and so on and so forth so i was reading the uh, you know special features that come with return of the living dead i think it's a two disc blu-ray really not positive. and they do have one disclaimer that unfortunately the damned did not allow their song did beat dance to be used on the blu-ray uh, i guess you know rights issues and all of that uh, which of course is something that's happening across a lot of media yeah um, definitely. nobody ever expected these things to you know uh, live in perpetuity which a lot of them are doing
3: absolutely um on top of all that uh, like i said uh, mr russo will be joining us uh, very shortly here uh, i just want to say this though uh we've come full circle because uh again I, ever, I never thought we'd get this opportunity you know um uh, of course romero is gone now um And we miss him greatly, uh, of course. And, you know, uh, it's they say never meet your idols. I I didn't get to meet George, unfortunately. Um, But I got to tell you, some of the guys I have met, you know, whether it's Savini and now Russo and like it's just like um, and John Amplis, too, who also shows up in Midnight, the original. Just meeting these guys—it's just—it's—it's larger than life. Uh, I've met like, uh, gosh, most some of the cast. From night of the living dead and the crazies and working all these uh living dead weekends up at evans city and something i want you to take part in so i, I thought it was really important that you get to do this interview with um, mr russo himself give you this opportunity because you know you kind of opened up my world to uh his work even though i did see neither living dead not realizing who and what i was watching at that time i think i was six <laughs> but uh yeah so uh and of course Dan O'Bannon had a lot to do with Return of the Living Dead and that that was his buddy. But Oh yeah. maybe you'll get him yep. talking about that. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Return of the Living Dead who knows? But we're going we'll to ta-
0: we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I just I appreciate the opportunity, yeah. you know, to talk to John. I I was fortunate. I met George twice at two different events probably nearly a decade apart mm-hmm. and the second one was uh, like, you know, like a living dead celebration and so i got to meet uh you know david Emmy and uh, ken foray yes. adrian barbeau um joe colada yeah. gary Carr, all these guys and they are just the nicest bunch of people
3: yes they are gracious gracious Completely to their
0: fans just yeah gracious to their fans uh-huh. down to earth and they clearly love what they do yes and it just absolutely shows. And they were all just very fun to chat with. And, you know, they were up for, oh, yeah, I have a photo taken and so on and so forth. And just you felt like you were among a family and they all treated each other that way. And I know that's a cliche in a lot of these instances. No, I'm, he, I'm here to tell
3: you you're spot on. That's how they treat yeah. each other in person. I see them at the festivals. Yes. Um, but. Before we get to it, because our guest should be uh, calling in shortly, Um, are you ready to interview Mr. Russo? I think I am. I think, uh,
0: you know, I think what I'm just going to let (laughs) him go.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) one thing. We have to be careful with that. And I'm going to tell him, you know, we're not doing politics on this one. That's going to be on the pop off with Martise. This is a two parter. She was supposed to be here. So uh, we're going to be handing uh, Mr. Russo off to Martise after this interview and you'll get to go, tune into the pop-off when you want to hear the rage of
0: Russo. <laughs> uh, I, I like yeah. that. That's oh, I'm you telling you. this episode the rage of Russo.
3: I, I'll have to tell Martis that. But, it's uh, yeah, I, I, th- we're clearly going to be talking about uh, Midnight. And uh, you uh, probably have some questions for him, I hope. And uh, he definitely will have some answers. I, that I can guarantee. But, uh, folks, friends, and fiends, thank you for tuning in. And uh, stick, stick by us um, for John Russo, Mr. Night of the Living Dead himself, and uh, the reboot of Midnight, which will be available soon. Got my screener. And um, all right, stick with us. We'll be right back.
2: Come on, take a break. Will you, please? Not over your dead body. When I was young, I chased the girls And I caught one or two in my time But now I'm too slow and they run too fast And they're scared of this face of mine But I still need love and I still like sex All that I readily admit my needs are strong and not too complex, and I'll trade tat for tit. A roll in the hay is a really good thing, and that you should never forget. While you're younger, you're older, in between, you should take all that you can get.
1: <laughs> this is Carrie Means, the
2: voice of Frylock. And you're listening to Kettle Whistle Radio. Mm.
3: All right, folks, thanks for hanging in here. We have the legend right now on the line, okay? John Russo is back on Kettle Whistle Radio. John, it's so good to hear your voice again. I I wish we could see you. (laughs) Ha ha! (laughs)
4: Yeah, it would be a thrill, wouldn't
3: it? (laughs) It would be, actually, yes (laughs) But this dumb COVID, you know Yeah, I know I know Well, I got with me, um, uh, Paul Wardle is with me as my co-host He is an Uber fan And um, what can I say, Paul, do you want to say hi to Mr. Russo?
0: Hi, John It's a a pleasure to uh, get this opportunity to talk to you And thank you for taking time to do so today Well, it's my pleasure,
3: thank you all right. Well, anyway, I just, just so you know, Paul introduced me to your work pretty early on um, outside of Night of the Living Dead. And uh, it, it came by way, of course, Return of the Living Dead, which we've talked about on this show many times. Um, and then uh, Midnight came along uh, for us a little later, even though that was before. Um, and we both are huge fans of the original Midnight. I just want you to know that. Right, Paul?
4: You yeah, I it, know it's... every time I'm at a convention and, you know, people come up and say how much they like the film, and then and the, they post about it on uh, on my Facebook pages and so on, and they even like the music, and the music's very good, actually, by the the Soundcastle, so yes. recently, I mean, a couple of years ago, I guess, the music was remastered and re-released by a British company with a really, really good artwork. On the album cover, is that right? Vinyl. Yeah, and we use some of that music in the original music in the in the in the Midnight Twenty
3: Twenty. That's what I call Midnight Twenty Twenty. Okay, right, right. It's called. It's still called Midnight, um, you know. But I just to distinguish them, it doesn't say Midnight Twenty Twenty on the on the artwork or the or the DVDs or Blu-rays. Right. Oh,
0: is, it just says
3: Midnight absolutely yeah no the soundtrack definitely sticks
0: out it, the whole film is is very effective it's still so resonant there we go today i mean i felt you know I, I watched it recently and i felt you know this could be something from obviously today's headlines in 2020 and i yeah, have well, here with me the the, still happening Serial killers
4: and people who capture yes. women and all that
0: stuff.
3: I was going to say...
4: It that, goes uh, on and on and on. It's deplorable. I was um, kind of inspired by, uh, I think, anyway. Um, if I can have the chronology right, but um, thinking about um, James Dickey's uh, deliverance, you know? Of course. James yeah. Dickey made a comment at one point that people have an intense fear of being set upon by strangers, and that's basically what Midnight is all about, but I don't like to just have you know, people being captured or killed one after another without some dominant theme to the story, and I think, you know, the idea of a a strong theme to whatever you're writing or producing is what sets it above the other stuff that's just you know, let me have a killer and he'll kill one person after another and there's not much character development and so on and so on. Those kind of things don't don't stand out and generally now don't succeed.
3: Right. Uh, I When I met, first met you and I interviewed you here in, at Helm's Deep, um, I said how much I thought uh, Rob Zombie borrowed from you with House of a Thousand Corpses and the Firefly family. I thought it was a huge influence on Rob Zombie, whether he said it or not. Um, I, I just felt that, but you back then, you you all right, you took on misogyny, syste- systemic racism, uh, religion, incest, Satanism, backwoods mentality, ra- <laughs> racial mis- misappro- racial misappropriation, all back then. And this is what it was shot in eighty one, but it was it has a seventies feel to it. But just well, amazing. These have been going on for
4: the entire history of the human race. So, uh, and I'm you know, I mean, I'm. I'm a very well-read person, an educated person, and I, and I you know, I, social, political, and cultural issues are intense, uh, of intense interest to me, and so that's that's what that's
3: what I write about one way or another. Paul?
0: Yeah, I think that, that absolutely comes through in your work, and certainly here at Midnight, I have, uh, the Overlook Film Encyclopedia of Horror, which was edited by Phil Hardy. And, uh, this version's from 1993, but they have a very good overview of your film and a very, uh, flattering review of it. Uh, after her policeman father has tried to rape her, Nancy Melanie Barillon leaves home to hitch her to her sister in California. On the road, she joins up with two young men before falling victim to a backwards family of devil worshippers who plan to sacrifice her at midnight on Easter Sunday. Not unlike 1971's Race with the Devil, Midnight is an effective mixture of road and horror movie with a refreshing break from the increasingly rigid formulae of many of its contemporaries scripted by the writer of Night of the Living Dead and with Tom Savini's usual excellent special effects. The film continues its predecessor's stress on the racial issue by having the racially mixed trio encounter prejudice on the road and by making several of the victim, family's victims black. Yeah. 40 star Lawrence Tierney is excellent as the heroine's stepfather, initially the villain of the piece, at the end her stalwart, stalwart protector. And I really think that's a fantastic review of the film. Yes, and I, I, I've never read. That
3: I was one. just gonna say, up, John. I bet you never read it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he doesn't read anything. Well, <laughs>
4: um, the, you know, really, the other, the the dominant theme of, of Midnight really is the issue of you know, it's, it's, it's religion versus superstition. And the ask, begs the question, are they, are they just two sides of the same coin? You know, I don't believe in any religion. I don't really believe in the supernatural.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
4: and I think, I think people, people can be deluded in, in either direction and the people in, in, the, in, in, in uh, the midnight, the movie and the novel are are deluded in opposite <laughs> directions, and that's the con- that's the main conflict. And that's you know the novel in, uh, goes into that in more detail. I have hardly any money to make the movie was basically made by me and three other people. It was me, John Rice and Eric Baca and Paul McCullough right. with a few other people that helped out on certain days, but not very much. In fact, Savini didn't do a whole lot. He, You mentioned his special effects, but he didn't do them all. He uh, sculpted, he he brought me the uh, skeleton parts, the, the skeleton and the skeleton parts, from some, from another movie that was being made at that time, and, uh, and so I used those parts, and he sculpted the face of the dead mother, which was actually a mistake. Oh no! <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll explain that. But uh, uh, and then he left to to work on uh, to be in Night Night Riders. Oh yeah! So the rest of the blood effects and the gunshot effects and all that I did yeah so that that's just i had to know to do that but but um it it's interesting uh, not to dump on Tom but you know to make a point uh, for for young directors or any kind of director the special effects people often think that tend to think that their effects are the movie, and they when there comes time for them to haul out their their uh Artificial constructions or whatever they're doing for the movie, they bring the they bring the stuff. They march the stuff onto the set with great pride, <laughs> and, which they should feel, yeah. you know. And it's fun to work with them because they they get they get completely involved in what you're doing, and you and they're enthusiastic and so on. But in the case of that that mother, uh, I was ta- I was. Talking to Tom about the effects that needed to be done, and I and I said the mother, you know, is is the whole the idea is supposed to be a shock that you meet these people when they're kids, and then I don't say I don't have a, a Chiron that says twenty years later, it's supposed to be a shock when you realize that these are those same kids right growing yeah. up. And and five times as evil as they started out to be mm-hmm. and, and so uh, you you need to realize that it's the same people when you see the mummified mother, you're supposed to recognize her from having seen her in the front of the film. so Tom was saying, well, I'll sculpt I'll sculpt." Uh, Uh, I'll make a mask, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And you know when people are mummified, a lot of times they turn black. And he Mm -hmm. said, I'll do that. And I said, Tom, wait a minute. You have to be able to recognize that woman as the same woman you've seen in the front of the film, only only she's aged by 20 years and mummified, but she still has to be recognizable. Well, he showed up with a mask, and I couldn't stop. Uh, production I didn't have the money to shut it down and so I'm waiting for five hours while Tom gets that mask on Jackie Nickel and so on and of course you can't, re- you can't recognize her as the same <laughs> woman
1: <laughs>
4: I-, I showed the movie to George <laughs> Romero oh, no. in, uh, in his office and true enough he was kind of distracted thinking about business things but he said who are those people
3: Oh geez!
1: <laughs> oh, <good. laughs>
4: oh wow! So, you know that's funny. There's, a, I'll tell you what. There's another funny story. I think I just finished putting this story in a in a novel that I'm doing. Uh 'cause because it, it's it's one of the funniest things that that I've ever ever happened to me making a movie. <laughs> Paul McCullough and I were editing Midnight in in Bill Heinzman's uh, office at the time he had an editing suite there and we rented it and we're in in Paul and I would come in real early in the morning and it was in a professional building in downtown Pittsburgh where there were a lot of dentists and lawyers in that building and then this one little film company and film equipment had been stolen so they had installed an electric eye that would ding if somebody came into that hallway and so. We're uh, Paul and I are, you know, in t-shirts and jeans and so on. We don't look like dentists or lawyers, and and we're running. Uh, 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 we're trying to put it. We're going to put an edit in the scene where the where the where the, where the black kid Hank gets kicked in the balls in his in <laughs> his you know in his sleeping bag, and yeah. the, the, the fake cops are beating up on him. Yep. And, and he's screaming, and so you're hearing these screams reverberating in this little room as we roll the sound tracks back and forth over the sound reader. And then the bell dings. And I roll back my chair and I look down the hall and it's fairly long hall and there's nobody there at first. And then this guy in a suit and tie pokes his head around the corner and he's got a scared look on his face and he says are, are 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 you the the the, the dentist? <laughs> and there was yeah. a
1: goddamn way that he wanted me to be operating on his teeth. <laughs> so
3: that's I, awesome. We just cracked up. <laughs> it I love it. Was hilarious. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. What? It doesn't get better than that. It really doesn't. No. No. That's the best.
4: About- that's about the funniest thing I can think of. <laughs> out of many, many,
3: many, many movies. <laughs> so, uh, uh, with the uh, with the reboot of Midnight, I- I'm just curious: Are you uh, going to be following some of the same themes? I mean, I, I watched it. I don't want to give spoilers, but um, some of the same themes here between the racism, the incest, the race, the, you know systemic racism, uh, backwoods mentality. Are you tackling the same things and corruption? Oh, you're asking
4: me a question assuming that the people listening haven't seen it. Correct. Well, uh, first of all, uh, Gary, you know, we almost had this movie financed a number of times, and one of the times was that Rob Lucas's, uh, Rob was one uh, co producer with me and Gary on My Uncle John is a Zombie. Yes. and, And Rob's, uh, Rob's mother was going to advance him enough money out of his uh, potential inheritance to make the movie. So I go to Stamford, Connecticut, where she was and where Rob grew up, and, and I had the location scouted, and I have, had a great cast lined up, including Serena Vincent was gonna play the witch, for example, ah. and, and uh, she was gonna play the Cynthia character, and I get that, and when I get there, his mother's on her deathbed, Oh, that's God! When I met her on her deathbed, and she I drove back to Pittsburgh, she passed away, and the estate got tied up in probate and everything. Uh. And so we never made the movie. And there were several other things that happened. That's typical of the movie business, you know, yeah, uh, things are going to happen, then they don't happen, and blah, blah, blah. so so um, uh, then recently, Gary uh, Vincent said that he would like to make it on a low budget and shoot it digitally and, and direct it and i i would be an executive producer and you know of course i wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. and i gary has been doing a great job he's been doing
3: many many movies yes
4: shooting digitally and getting them into distribution that's a long
3: story but it's an education you know, of itself I should probably know. I should probably add John that uh, again Gary Vincent is uh, burning bowl publishing he's our publisher where he has mm-hmm. he's our label and I've been a great guy you know and uh, yeah go on yeah. go on I'm sorry well I have
4: seen some of the stuff he's doing and I mean a lot of people think they can direct them most of them can't Gary can. he's very good so I had implicit faith in him I was because of the COVID thing and, you know, he had to work through the COVID thing and everything else to do this movie. I didn't have to do much. I had already written the script. I played the part of the priest. Yes. In the original Midnight, you don't see the priest. You just hear his voice. Right, right. This time you see me
3: as the priest. That's for sure. I, lo- I love Gary that scene. <laughs> just did
4: a
1: great job. He took, he had to make adjustments because of COVID and the difficulties
4: of, of getting certain scenes and getting populating certain scenes when you're supposed to have social distancing, all those things. So there's a supernatural element to the new Midnight
3: yes. that I didn't want in the first one because I'm dealing with the banality of, 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 of murder,
4: you know, and in, in the, mm-hmm. the, um, the down-to-earth aspect of it, the fact that there is no... There are no miracles, and nobody's coming to save you, and 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 and, uh, and there's no goddamn Satan
1: either. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yes.
4: you know, But the new, but the new version does have very effectively it has a, a supernatural element, mm-hmm. and uh, and it works. You know, it's 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 really entertaining, and it's I think eminently marketable. I think it's it's going to do very well. And um, the whole cast and crew and everybody that worked on it under these trying COVID situations is to be congratulated.
3: Yes, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I own a copy of it. I got the Blu-ray. Well, thanks. Glad you glad you saw it. Glad you have it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was looking forward to it. And uh, just, um, again, just so you know, um, uh I, it, we were just talking, Paul and myself. That, you know, uh, you know, they say never meet your idols, but right now, Paul is actually meeting one of his right now. You should know that. It's very important that you know that. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. I always say I put my lip pants on one leg at a time, like everybody else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, this is this is a real pleasure, John. You know, and yeah, listening think to I'm you around, talk to uh, the, about about ears. the making of this film and. I, I, it's funny because a moment ago you mentioned how in your in the original that you know nobody is coming to save you, yet you have Nancy's stepfather, who tries to basically rape her in the beginning of the movie hmm. and then turn around and come and save her, which I thought was really fascinating aspect of the character. And you're giving a lot of levels to his humanity. And I thought that was well, a really that, daring approach. You know, the, the, the first
4: evidence of the movie, um, you know, in the novel, Nancy died. She's in the cage, and you know she's going to die. And, and the and the way we shot the movie was the same way. She's left in the cage, and you know she's going to die. And then whenever I went to New York, Paul and I went to New York to show the, 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 the film to uh, – Sam Sherman, Independent International Pictures. Sam, first of all, said, well, he said, this is, uh, this. Is, you guys are to be congratulated. This is not only uh, a good horror film, but it's a good good piece of film, period. And he said, but we, we'll never get an R rating if we let the girl die. So, so you know, can you come up with um, with a different ending that still works? And so I, oh,
3: wow. I wrote this ending and we brought it we brought Lawrence Tierney back, and I had
4: a I had to drop a scene where he lies to the mother and says that he never found Nancy. Uh, in retrospect, I could have left it in because he still could have lied at that point, but still, his conscience gets to him, and he does come back and and save her, and dies in the process. in in the in the in the remi- in the new Midnight, he he. Uh, he goes to confession, and the, the priest, uh, you know, tells him he has to he has to atone and he has to make things right and, and all that, which which was not in the original Midnight, but it just right. gives him more motivation to do to have his turnaround
1: and go, and try to save Nancy. So one of the it's things a- in the in the new script couldn't be done because
4: of COVID, but Gary really uh, compensated. You know, to still preserve effective screen time, and uh, he did things a little bit differently. And um, but the thing is, a lot of people, and you know, a lot of directors, they do things that don't make sense. Mm. But everything Gary did made sense and, and, it, and it worked. And that's that's um, that's a hell of an attribute, and that's an attribute you need if you're gonna if you're gonna be in this business. So, some big-name people don't have it. I mean, what they do is they shoot everything and dump it on an editor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. That's true. So the original Midnight, I had... Uh, uh, IIP would send me three or four 400-foot uh, rolls of film at once, and I was always running out of film. And it was <laughs> shot on a 4-to-1 ratio. Night of the Living Dead was shot on a 6-to-1 ratio. Um, but that means... Four times as much film was shot as ended up in the movie. That's you know that's normal. You're going to have more film shot than what's
1: mm-hmm.
4: for one thing. I always got a got safety take at least one good safety take, and so on. And then you have blown lines or whatever. Uh, but then the other thing, I was always driving all night borrowing film because I'm always running out of film. And, <laughs> the, and the film they sent me. Is spool down, and you, you probably don't know what that is. But uh, uh, the the lab, lab, film laboratories use two thousand foot reels, and then somebody will go into a dark room and spool them down into four hundred foot reels. And if they get a light leak, then you're going to have blotches uh, on your on your on your film. Hmm. Y- you know? Yeah. So, so I lost a lot of my best takes with with light leaks. Oh man! On top of it, so you know, one of the things was that uh, even with safeties. So, so for instance, when when Nancy hits Burt tyranny with with the radio, I I had a good (laughs) hit that was convincing, but I had to put uh, use a hit with that wasn't as good, wasn't all that convincing. So. I had him collapse and then start to snore, which would, you know, make it more believable that he sure. was ready to pass out
3: anyway. Yeah, that,
0: so that, yeah, that comes, that definitely comes across in that scene because he, the character had been drinking.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah but that, but that's,
4: that's just a small example of the kinds of innovations and, you know, spur of the moment things that have to be done to rescue a scene, and I'm very good at that. Yes, you uh, are. Gary is also... Some people aren't so good at it and they do things that don't work.
3: So, right.
4: that's I
3: that. Noticed, I noticed too, John, um, just because I'm from the area, a lot. Did you use a lot of the same locations on the reboot? No. No? Uh, none. None I, of them. Can, Not even like when they pick a no, the girl the up? The
4: reboot was, it was shot in and in, in around Clarksburg, West Virginia. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, Gary's, Gary lives in Clarksburg. He's, his day job is he's a techie. Very skilled technician. Yeah, uh, for the FBI.
3: Yes. Or should we have said that? <laughs> <laughs> um.
2: I'm not afraid of the dark, but you should be. There are things that well here in the dark. Things best left unseen.
1: With the initial smoke clear from the fall of tomorrow. And the wackiness of Boku, boku Iskew TV. TV. A YouTube, A YouTube channel, channel featuring, featuring sock puppets, sock puppets irreverent, irreverent comedy, comedy bizarro imagery, imagery, and oddball, oddball silliness of plenty. It's true, it's true, it's true. To watch now, watch now, visit youtube.com YouTube slash boku TV. TV. Should be pretty fun. Be fun.
3: Hey, um, when they pick up Nancy in, in for the in the beginning, though, that I swear, to God, that location looks so much like the one in the original. It looks so close.
4: Yeah, well, he was trying to uh, as much as possible yeah. to to honor the original movie, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's a mistake if you try to honor the original too much. Then yes. Then why remake
3: it? What's but the point? Yeah.
4: That's, that's the good thing about his remake that it does go in this different direction but yet it, it pretty much you know preserves the feeling of the original it was shot almost the same way it was a you know very low budget i mean he's shooting digital i'm shooting 35 millimeter but, yes uh it, but i'm doing it on a shoestring and he's doing it on a shoestring all these years later so you know
3: well, I was, I was telling Paul that I, I was actually uh, very honored to get onto the soundtrack to My Uncle John is a Zombie. We did your vocals right here in Helm's Deep. Um, I'm hoping to play that at the end of our interview here, but uh, I, I also was telling Paul, too, that you had the, not only the luxury of killing me, blowing my head off in that film, but you had the luxury of, of gloating to my own father that you killed his son. <laughs> at a, He came to visit a convention. <laughs> he, th- he still thinks it's great. yeah i can't i can't i can't remember no you you meet too many people but he remembers uh, he loved every moment of it paul what you got with the old midnight i know you got more to talk to ask him
0: well actually the one thing i'd like to ask because you've been speaking a lot about gary so was it your idea to revisit midnight or was it gary's to revisit the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did did you? Was it your idea and, well, to, to do this remake or, to remake, or was it Gary's? And do some of the things that I couldn't afford to do way back, you know. And
4: and 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 Gary liked the original movie, and so on. And he, he, so he said that after doing this string of uh, low budget movies that he's been doing and successfully getting them into distribution, he decided that he wanted to do Midnight, and he just feels. Very strongly that it's, that it's you know going to make money and so on, and it looks like he's going to be right. So <laughs> I was uh, glad to let him do it, you know, give him pretty much free reign. And uh, in fact, it was totally free reign. <laughs> 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 so I told yeah, well, him I that- trust you implicitly. You know, we've been friends and partners and, and for for probably ten years now, and uh,
0: at least. You know, he's one of the people that I that I trust the most. Well, the story and the themes are, are timely and, and sadly timeless.
3: Timeless, uh, yeah.
0: You know, again, just watching the original, it, it feels like it could have been shot today. Even that original version of it, you know, that we just the issues of racism and and. Uh, you know, people who are deluded by religion and uh, family strife. I mean, you know, this is what we get twenty four seven on the news anyway.
4: Yeah. So that's that's true. And I mean, it's in it's in it's in rustic locale, so it doesn't uh, betray the time period so much.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah. So it, it still, you know, has that resonance. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, specific stories you'd like to uh, you can uh, share with us about Lawrence and John Amplis or other members of the cast? Uh,
4: well, Lawrence Tierney, um, you could see, I could see right away why he why he was a star of the, in, you know, Hollywood heyday. And you know, he played Dillinger in the movie Dillinger, and he, did, he had a big career. Scott Brady was his brother. And he said, told me back then that, that he kind of dropped out of acting to give Scott a chance, you know, because they were always uh, considered going after the same roles and they were the same type as far as actors. And, uh, but he, um, actually, I learned from him just by watching the way he he played his part. He didn't necessarily... Memorized lines, word for word. In fact, he almost never did that. He would get the gist down and the key, the key story points down, and then he would deliver, he would say the lines. You know, just let them come out naturally. I did the same thing with the with the Uncle John movie.
3: Yeah.
4: And you know, and, and the thing is, I, I'm the one that makes people laugh when we're on stage and all that.
3: That's and for I, sure. Yes.
4: A natural play that character i'm almost the one that had
3: to play it yeah i could vouch for that absolutely
4: so <laughs> so and that's the way i did you know i mean i'm really good at the extemporaneous stuff and that's what makes people laugh when, <laughs> when, when we are on stage so i just i just did it and uh, and
3: uh yeah paul honestly uh, a lot for... of that's, uh
4: i was talking to chuck corby the other day and chuck was the star of my movie uh Mob boss and the soul singer, original title's of Lunatics, and Chuck said that's what he did too. You know, he did the same thing.
3: Yeah, I went to that uh, premiere. The, that was a great yeah, premiere. He, he's
4: very—he's like a Joe Pesci type, and yes, and the, he and Joe Pesci actually had the same manager, Joe Joe Danofrio from 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 uh, I want to say from Youngstown, Ohio. Okay, but Joe's a big a, a force in the industry, Grammys. So, but and I think um, uh, I, I would guess that Tashi does a lot of that. A lot of his he's he's just great, and it's pro- He probably outlives uh, a lot too, but he really doesn't. I don't know that for sure. I don't know the. I don't, I've never met him. Funny thing, I did see him without knowing it <laughs> 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 back in back in the seventies. Really, Russ Dreiner, Rudy Ritchie, and I went to New York for uh, some kind of thing, and and while we were there, the electric circus was a big deal, and the the guy, the YMCA guys,
1: Why uh,
3: Oh God! Oh, the the village people. Village people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We
4: went we went and saw the village people, and we went to the government lounge and saw. Joey D and the
1: Starlighters—they had the
4: peppermint go. twist,
3: right? Yes.
1: Well, I didn't know till Chuck told me years later
4: that Joe Pesci was 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 uh, in in the, in that band. He, oh my he was, god! Uh, he was one of the Joey D and the Starlighters.
3: Yeah, I, I, <laughs> so I, w- I saw. Him. That's incredible. I saw <laughs> I wanted to tell Paul and also other our, our listeners out there that don't know Chuck Corby uh, is a crooner, a local crooner. He's amazing, amazing singer. And first time uh, Mr. Russo came in here, he came with Chuck, and we played some of his music too. Paul, definitely worth looking into some of Chuck Corby's stuff.
4: Okay, I'll make a note of that. Cool. There's a new cool. album coming out in January, uh, and it's all with uh, live musicians and no pre-recorded tracks, and Ken- people like Kenny Blank and Kenny Blake and. Uh, trying to think No oh, gee I can't I can't think of the other names But they're well known But anyway They're all great musicians I haven't heard it yet
3: That'll be a whole nother show We'll have you guys on Yeah Absolutely
4: we've been working on it For about a year Recording um, In the In the Keysport There's a studio called Mojo Boneyard Studio in the I know fabulous it Fabulous
3: studio Yes Yes
4: Yeah, I recorded, well, Chuck and I recorded my Eve of Destruction
3: song there. Yes. Oh, Paul hasn't heard that one yet. You know, I want to mention this too. You were talking about yourself on the set. Now, here's the thing, Paul. When you go, if you're on a Russo set, it doesn't matter if it's 14 hours, it doesn't matter if it's eight hours, it doesn't matter if it's 20. He keeps you entertained, okay? (laughs) Um, Do I? (laughs) Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. Uh, You absolutely do. Whether you're just, just, you just have a way. You're a natural. And uh, it, 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 those hours disappear. You just wait for your next scene, whatever. Um, yeah, it was a pleasure working with you, and I had so much fun. And most, I've been on a lot of sets at this point. Most fun was yours. I'm just going to say that. Well, thanks.
4: Well, Absolutely. we appreciate everything you contributed and the way, you, you know, all the things you did, all the things everybody did on a low-budget movie like that.
3: Thank you. And I think we all can be proud of it. Yes, I, yes, for the, Uncle John. Now um, Paul, I'm sure you got a couple of midnight questions left for him.
0: Um, yeah, I said just uh, anything you you'd love to share about uh, the making of it and and uh, how you would compare uh, filmmaking from then to now and Ooh. how the story has evolved. Going
4: way back, uh, Russ Treiner and I um,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and Rudy Ritchie, when we were partners, w- one of the things we wanted to do was we wanted to become our own distributors, and we made some efforts and that, toward that end, but it cost millions of dollars to, to really distribute anything in those days in, you know, 35 millimeter prints and, you know, a thousand prints that might cost 7,000 bucks each and all that stuff. <sighs> We 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 didn't get that off off, totally off the ground, and uh, but and also I like the small productions. Mm -hmm. You know, I I I often there are big spectacles that I love, like Rome. The entire series is just great, but I like making the movies with a with a. Low-budget movies with a small cast, and so on and so on. That's just more kind of me. Mm. So, so, but now we, uh, gra- there's uh, amazing grassroots filmmaking taking place all over the country because of digital production. Mm. And Gary is is one of the more successful people with it uh, uh, in in that. But I've also I've acted in several movies, small parts you know, in the last few months, even, even with COVID, I, I, you know, I've, I've played a, i i played ai was in a movie called Devil's Den and just before COVID came out, just before, and it was in Hagerstown, Maryland, a great, really good director and great staff, and they knew what they were doing, staff and crew. And I, uh, a few weeks ago, I was in a movie being shot in Charleston, West Virginia, I play the doctor telling. It's called um, Return of the Mothman, Ooh. and the, the Mothman legend started in Huntington, West Virginia. They yep. have a statue of the Mothman in yeah Point part Pleasant. Town there, absolutely. Which I didn't know. But anyway, it's been, it my scenes were shot in Charleston. I play the doctor, breaking it to this mother and her grandson that she's dying of, she has terminal cancer, and. Uh,
3: Else. Well, that's there that's something that's something to look forward to, big time. I can't wait to see that.
4: But the thing is, the the, the people are very uh, accomplished. You can tell they really have it together. You a lot of this kind of work is being done all around the country. There's some bad work being done too, but there's a lot of good work, and the digital production makes it possible. So, um, and that's right up my alley, and one of the reasons why. You know, I said right away to to Gary, yeah, go ahead and make uh, Midnight and do it your way.
2: So, mm.
4: and we're going to do more. You know, we have uh, we have more things that we want to do. <clears throat> at the same time, I'm, I'm I'm writing some stuff that does take a, a much bigger budget.
3: Okay. So, uh, oh, one of the
4: differences, like in the original Midnight, I, I've I've got three or four rolls of film at once, and I'm shooting on a four to one ratio, well, that takes a lot of skill, um, because I have to know where my master shot's going to go, where my mediums are going to go, my close-ups. I, I'm not shooting every take all the, way, all the way through the whole scene. Can't afford it.
1: Woody mm. Allen
4: or Martin Scorsese, they shoot 25 to 1, and now they have all this <laughs> material and a lot of even big names that don't really have a sense of how to block their their scenes they shoot every damn thing and dump it on an editor to <laughs> rescue them right okay so but these but the people that I in the films that I was in recently not with digital it's so cheap that they every single camera setup they shot the whole scene all the way through mm-hmm. so I had to act the scene out, scenes out from beginning to end over and, over and over and over and over and over again where it would have been a faster shooting day to break it down into where's the master going to be and where's it, you know, and so on. So so that's different. It probably results in a, in a pretty smooth product in the end. Um, well, I don't yes. know what else to say about
3: that. No, that's Perfect. Um I do yeah, want I would
0: say that it, it you know, back when you were filming, you know, the original Midnight or, you know, even obviously as far back as Night of the Living Dead, you had to be more not only economical, but more efficient with how mm-hmm. you would shoot these scenes Budget. and then put them together. Budget.
4: Well George was basically calling those shots. I wasn't quite ready to direct a feature film, at that point and uh, so George was the director and he did a fabulous job and he also was the cameraman that's that's the way we worked on the fight if I was doing a shooting a, a directing a commercial or a documentary or whatever I was the cameraman and I was the editor too so that's that's how we worked. but George uh, we would rehearse things and block the action and rehearse and practice follow focus or whatever we had to do and then we would shoot but and a lot of times uh it, it, toward the end there whenever uh, we were running out of film and and george was just winging it a lot of that stuff was one take
3: period. amazing amazing
4: and the farmhouse was going to be bulldozed to the ground. When we were done, and if we'd have
1: gotten scratches on the film in the lab or anything else would have gone wrong, we'd have been screwed. Oh
3: my God! <laughs> but
4: George George was so skilled at what he was doing, and we also lucked out because we didn't get scratches and blown takes. And um, and that's how now, who in the hell is going to do that now? Why <laughs> I hear Robert Robert Rodriguez supposedly. Did that with uh, Mariachi*, which I thought was a really, really good film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried to strike up a conversation with him at the *Land of the Dead* premiere, and I, I as a prelude, I said, "You know, you know, I read that um, this film was done on—I forget—$16,000." I said, "That's kind of, that's." <laughs> kind of hard to believe whatever the amount was that they were publicizing <clears throat> I meant it as it just, just introduced the conversation to find out from him well how did he manage to do that cause you can't it, it can't be done you know maybe he had equipment donated, maybe he had lab resources donated or something.
3: Right. <laughs> Instead, I, I sat down and he turned his back on me and walked away. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, no. Man, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but he may not be an asshole. Well, at that moment in time, he was. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. have to agree. I have to agree. <laughs>
4: you, you would think one filmmaker to another that he would have,
3: but I... But but meanwhile, meanwhile Paul Paul doesn't know this, that you, you, uh, one of your biggest fans is Kirk Hammett of Metallica.
4: I yeah, do not know well, that. I don't know if he's seen uh, Uncle John or not. I, he said at one point that he likes everything I do. Yeah. And I reminded him, and I sent an email, and um, I sent it to his uh, right-hand lady, um, Okay. Uh, uh, Shelly Veneman, and asked her to send the link to Kirk and I haven't heard anything so I don't know if
3: he's seen it or not hmm okay Um, we'll have to look into that eventually
4: (laughs) he may comment on it I I have a feeling he's going to
3: like it because it's (laughs) Right up his alley you know I'll have to have my people talk to his people <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know I have that kind of clout oh man but uh hey you know we should tell folks here uh where to find your stuff that's for sale right now are you still selling return of the living Dead scripts and books
4: Uh, yeah I get I don't
3: know if I have them uh, well I don't have them any more novels
4: okay oh boomy and uh Okay. But I, the scripts I I have, i I think they may be listed on ebay.
3: Okay. Uh but so. Burning Bowl Publishing has a lot of your new stuff, correct?
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, so Burning and Bowl Publishing they
4: have the movies, you know, they have they have Heartstopper and Mob Boss and the awesome, Soul Singer. I own all those. John, Midnight. Yep. Major S I think maybe I don't think they have major S. I'm not that's a good but question.
3: Anyway. I'd like to know the answer to that. Yeah.
4: Well, Lionsgate has the rights to it and to the majorettes, and people ask mm. me about it mm. and uh, they used to bring it out, reissue it occasionally, and I have no idea what what they, um, <clears throat> oh, for, oh, for, actually, wait a minute, they don't have the majorettes, they okay. have Midnight.
3: Uh, oh, the original.
4: Yeah, at one point they were going to reissue it and wanted me to do commentary tracks, and I didn't want to do them. Without getting paid. Yeah. Because they've made a ton of money off of that movie.
3: Yeah, give me a break. And what the they, they went and
4: paid, so I didn't do them, so I don't know
3: what the hell they're going to ah, do. Yeah, boo with that. Them. Okay, well, I'm glad we know that now. Um, anything else uh, in closing, Paul?
0: Oh, just, uh, uh, again, well, thank you, we John. Much this is fantastic. Covered just about everything. I <laughs> yeah, guess.
3: Just about. Paul's got one more for you.
0: No, I just wanted to say, John, this has been fantastic. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. And uh, it's a pleasure, you know, meeting you, well, at least I virtually. It. I hope novel. we can do it in person someday.
4: Um, <laughs> one of my current things, I wrote I wrote a screenplay called, in a novel, called Rufus Buck. Okay. And we're on the verge, hate to say because, you know, things go through their paces, but it looks like we may get a budget in the millions to, to make this movie I caught it's a western horror story but it's, it's based
1: on a true story Ooh. and so um I have a, a
4: friend of mine working up the budget now which is what the investors want next they've already it's already had a bunch of readings some small revisions which I did and they loved so it's so far so good okay uh but uh, Rufus Buck was um he was there was a gang of five uh, um, mixed breed black and Creek Indian teenagers and they went on a raping and killing rampage that lasted for 19 days in 1895 when it was just awful the things they did and they were caught and Judge um, Isaac Parker Fort Smith, Arkansas, the hanging judge sentenced them to hang, and they were, all five were hanged from the same gallows in 1896, and that's, um, so I have a fictional story uh, built around that that's, that's full of twists and turns and intrigue, and, you know, some people said they thought that it was one of the best things
3: I've ever written and I think a lot <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, uh, yeah, Paul and myself, our ears just perked up just then, I think. So, yeah, oh, we're, yeah. Al- already, yeah we're already looking forward to that. Um, you know what we should talk about real quick? What's the release date um, for um, Midnight, the reboot?
4: I think it's already considered to be in release, I guess. Okay. you know, to, can talk to Gary about it. More, more specifically
3: okay and the blu-ray but, is mean, available I, he's selling the dvds already okay so go to folks burning publishing.com uh check yeah. it out you can find all our stuff there my stuff john's stuff of course um I, I by the way john i do have a new comic book out called dr peeler demon psychiatrist that's also burning BurningBulbComics.com. comics.com issue number one issue two and three are on the way um, yeah, it, it's it's fun. I like I said. I, I again, I don't borrow from your monsters. There's a little dedication to you in there, by the way, in Doctor Peeler.
4: Thanks. Absolutely. We uh, well, we loved what we do.
3: <laughs> yes, indeed <laughs> Whether, we hey, do.
4: Some things. Sam Sherman told me a long time ago. He said, "Not everything we do in life is successful." Well, that's that's a good thing to keep in mind. Some people get discouraged and bitter and never do anything. you just have to ride with the blows and keep going and, you know, and and you'll have your successes by and by.
3: It doesn't get better than that, Paul.
4: Yep. I I agree. I think that's great
0: advice for everybody uh, who wants to do anything and get themselves out there. And, uh, yeah, just turn, uh, you know, your uh, mistakes into opportunities. Take the dive. and And learn from everything that you do.
3: Take the dive. Right. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this, uh, and I hope to God that me and you can uh, get a table again sometime and, and represent these conventions. Aren't you looking forward to getting back out there?
4: Well, I have about 15 of them uh, lined up, really good ones lined yeah.
1: up until COVID hit. Uh.
4: I, got, I, was in Eng, England, I got back from England uh, March 1st, and then everything started to be postponed uh. and canceled. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who knows? A lot of things have been moved into 2021, but who knows if they'll happen.
3: Right, right. All right. Well, well
4: thanks hey. Have All have right. a
2: lot.
3: All right, John, hey, thank you so much for doing this, and
2: we appreciate it. Zom, 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 zombie, doobie, zombie. Wow, 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 wow. Well, I love you, darling. Love to munch on you. I want you, darling. To make a lunch of you, I need you, darling. I need to munch on you. Well, come, 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 come. Coming to. Your body parts come here, darling. Let me punch for you. Well, I never, yes, you see, I never hate nobody like you. I crave your body, yes, I crave your body. Strawberries and whipped cream, too. Come, 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 come. Make my dreams come true. I need you, darling. I want to punch on you I need you darling I'd love to punch on you Hey babe I ain't the big bobber, I ain't Elvis Presley ain't Chuck Berry neither This is your Uncle John I love all the things you got and I got to have some I want you real bad, babe. I want you real bad. Well, I never. Yes, you see, I never ain't nobody like you. I crave your body. Yes, I crave your body. Strawberries and whipped cream too. Come, 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 come. Come, come, Make my dreams come true. true. I need you. Darling, darling. I want to munch, munch on, on you. I love yeah, you, darling. Love, darling. I'd love to lunch munch on you. On you. Wah, 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 wah. Love to munch so, so, on you. Tell me, me. So, tell love to munch so, on you.
0: there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan,
2: And
1: I'm Eden Alpert. And
0: we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab.
1: Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there.
2: Electric acid. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. we oh, got this chair. No,
3: that's just my dad.
1: My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels
3: again with a